Praise the Lord. I'd like to talk about the Easter message. And I want to try and make it simple and non-religious, if I can. I think sometimes we make things too religious, and there's all sorts of ecclesiastical, beatitudinal, brethren, brethren, weird words, and we just get this glaze over our eyes and over our face, and we think, oh, that's not for me. I want to tell you the Easter story in a way that's simple, and it's just plain, normal language. There was a man called Jesus who lived about 2,000 years ago, a real-life man, flesh-and-blood man. He walked around, he ate, he cried, he laughed, he dealt with people in a normal way. He had a mum and a dad, brothers and sisters. He worked in a carpentry shop. He ministered for three years, and then he was brutally murdered. He was killed by the authorities of the day in the fashion that was normal for that time of execution. It was called crucifixion. The Romans did not invent crucifixion, but they perfected it. It became a way of killing people that was excruciatingly painful, but also made a public sign of that person to everybody walking by. They would crucify people in very public places, like a bus stop, and they would make it so everyone could see what was happening, and these criminals who were crucified would suffer and bleed and eventually suffocate to death after many hours on the crosses. And then the Romans, by doing so, would show we are strong and we punish crime. There was this man called Jesus who was crucified in this way. He was brutally killed. Just to give you a a brief outline of what he went through. The night before he was crucified, he was arrested. He... Um, was kept up that whole night, nothing to eat, nothing to drink, no sleep. He was beaten, hit with sticks. They put thorns, they twisted thorns together and pushed them into his head. They beat him with a whip. Then he was taken to Pilate, the Roman governor, who said, let him be lashed again. And they lashed him with a whip that had pieces of lead and bone in it so that it would have ripped the the skin off his back and, and even his internal organs would have been showing. Then they put this big, heavy cross, wooden cross. It wasn't smooth and nice. It was full of splinters. They put that on him and they said, carry it up this hill. He carried it up and then they nailed nails into his hands, into his feet. They hung him there for six hours. Eventually, they plunged a spear into his side to check that he was dead. And blood and water came out, which medical experts will tell us means that his heart had actually ruptured and the blood and the plasma in his blood system had separated. Blood and water flowed out. He was taken off the cross that evening, dead and put into a tomb that was hewn out of a rock. So it was cut into a rock. There was no doors and exits and entrances. It was just one hole in a rock. He was put in there and a large stone was rolled over the entrance A Roman guard of of several Roman soldiers were put in place to guard the tomb. And they put a seal, a Roman seal, over over the stone so that nobody could move it. And three days later, something happened. There was an earthquake. And um, the ground shook. The Roman guards were startled. The stone rolled away. And when people went and looked at the tomb, there was no longer a body in there. And this is the crux of the matter. Because many people have been killed in history. 
Many people have uh, been executed. It's not, a, it's not an unusual thing. And yet, this man, Jesus, when they went to his tomb, they found it empty. And it was, the Lord organized it in such a way, I believe. God organized it in such a way that it was provable that he'd risen again. It wasn't just hearsay and some people think he rose again and, oh, well, I hope he rose again. It was a provable fact. Let me just read you something about a man called Dr. Simon Greenleaf, who lived in the 19th century. He was the Royal Professor of Law at Harvard University and one of the founders of the Harvard Law School. If any of you have seen the film Suits on TV, you know how important Harvard Law School is. Very important. He authored three uh, volumes called A Treatise on the Law of Evidence, and it's still considered one of the greatest authorities on judicial legal procedure. He was a non-Christian, and one day he decided he was going to set out to disprove the biblical testimony about the resurrection of Jesus. He was tired of so many people talking about it, and he said, I'm going to disprove this. And so he did a careful examination of all the internal witnesses, all the evidence, and after months of studying, he came to the conclusion that the resurrection did in fact happen. And he became a Christian as a result of that, and he wrote a book called An Examination of the Testimony of the Four Evangelists by the Rules of Evidence Administered in the Courts of Justice. And this is what his conclusion was. He said, according to the laws of legal evidence used in courts of law, there is more evidence for the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ than for any other event in history. Isn't that amazing? The Apostle Paul was writing in 1 Corinthians, and he summarized the gospel there. And I just want to read you what he said. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you received and by which you stand. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. He was seen by Cephas, which is Peter, then by the twelve, that's the twelve disciples. After that, he was seen by over 500 people at one time of whom the greater part remain to the present time, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, and then last of all, he was seen by me also. The gospel is primarily about historical facts. Sometimes we think the gospel is about nice feelings, and nice sentiments, uh, good ideas, good ways to live your life, clever rules for a happy life, or religious rituals, or some person's dogma. But actually, Paul says the gospel, the Christian message, is about a historical fact, an event that happened. There was a man called Jesus. There was a man called Jesus. He lived an amazing life. He died a terrible death. He was buried and he rose again in such a way that it could be proved that he rose again. The Romans tried to protect the tomb so that it couldn't be stolen, the body. There were 500 eyewitnesses, at least, who at any time in the 20 or 30 years after this event, anyone could have gone and found one of them and said, did he really rise again? 
There were so many eyewitnesses. And then the last piece of evidence is the effect that it had on people. Just think about this. A little nobody, a man born in Palestine. He's of no noble birth. He's of no great education. But something about his death changed the course of human history. More than any of the great leaders, more than any of the great soldiers, presidents, emperors, educationalists, philosophers, more than anyone else in history, something about Jesus' death changed the course of human history like nothing else. Why? The only reason is because he rose again. He rose again from the dead. His disciples were uneducated fishermen who were defeated and scared when he was arrested. They hid from the authorities, and within a few days they were preaching publicly, saying, this Jesus, who you put to death, has been raised again. They were transformed men. Peter, who denied Jesus and was so heartbroken about denying Jesus, in Acts chapter 3, he stands up and he says, this Jesus, who you denied, he was so forgiven and transformed that he said, you guys denied him. Meanwhile, it was him who denied him. Jesus' own brothers, James and Jude and various others, had not believed in him while he was alive on this earth. They became the leaders of the church afterwards. And in fact were martyred for their faith. These brothers of Jesus who grew up with him as a little boy, they were willing to die for him. Why? Because something happened. He rose again. Many other people throughout the course of history can testify that their lives have been changed by a power that's greater than themselves. And the only explanation is this man actually rose again. He really is alive today here in this place. I just want to read one story about a lady whose life was changed. I read the verses earlier, but I'm going to read it again. It said, Mary, this is Mary Magdalene. She had been, most people believe, a prostitute. She'd lived a, a sad and broken life. She'd met Jesus and her life had been transformed. He turned her life into something of purpose and hope. And then he died and she was standing outside the tomb, it says, weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where Jesus' body had lain. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Can you hear and see the loss of hope? <laughs> Just a loss of hope. I thought there was hope in this life. I thought there was something to live for. I thought I could have purpose. I had this relationship with Jesus who changed me forever, and now he's dead. They've taken his body. I don't know where he's gone. My hope is gone. I wonder if you like that today. I wonder if it's your own failure that has caused you to lose hope. I wonder if it's other people's sin and, and failures that have caused you to lose hope. Maybe it's just the harshness of life on this planet. And you think, there's nothing more to live for. There's nothing more. There's just what I've already known all these years of my life. There's nothing new. There's nothing more. This is it. I'm just going to have to get used to it. That's how Mary felt. And when she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. 
the first step in our transformation, in our receiving this newness that Jesus can give, is that we have to be in a place where we can see Him and hear from Him. But often we don't recognize it's Him for quite a while. Many people have told me they've been to church for weeks upon weeks. They've heard me speaking sermons and they've heard other sermons. And it just means nothing to them. It's just religious sounding weirdness. But they keep coming and slowly it starts to make sense until a light goes on and they say, Wow, this could be real. That's what happened to Mary. She said, where have you taken the body? She thought it was somebody else. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? So if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, this is the moment. He said to her, Mary. Something happens in a person's life when God breaks through and it's a personal connection. It's no longer just a historical figure. It's no longer just a theory. It's not just something on a page of a book. Suddenly he knows my name. Suddenly I see this could be real. He's alive. He wants to know me. And when he said her name, she broke down. She tried to grasp him in worship. She tr tried to cling to him. He said, hold on, I haven't ascended to the Father yet. Later on we can eat together and you know, we can talk and and chat and touch each other. But for now, just go and tell the disciples that I've risen again. And her life was changed forever. Not just hers, but many, many other people's lives. I just want to name a few conclusions that I come to. If I come to the place where I say Jesus did rise again, these are the conclusions. Number one, death. Death. You know this horrible big enemy that's the worst thing that can happen to us? When I believe that Jesus rose from the dead, death is no longer the worst thing in the world. Death is no longer to be feared. Death can be conquered. Death is not the end. Death loses its power. Jesus has overcome death. I can overcome death through Him. My fear of death goes away. I suddenly realize there's more to this world. My second conclusion is that this natural world, the natural laws of physics and biology and chemistry and all the things that the school taught me, it's not all there is. There's a supernatural power that's greater. You know, the natural world says if a person's been dead for three days, their body has started to decay, there's no way they can come back to life. When I believe that Jesus rose from the dead, I suddenly get my eyes open to there's more. There's something else. There's possibilities beyond what my natural, logical, normal senses tell me. Anything is possible. There's hope. A miracle can happen. In my life, there's hope. Things can change. Things can be made new. The other conclusion that I come to, the third one, is that Jesus is alive now. If he rose again 2,000 years ago and beat death, he's still alive today. That same Jesus who walked around planet Earth 2,000 years ago is alive today. And just as he appeared to other people and Paul and Cephas and 500 people, he can appear to me either visibly or, as he said to Thomas, it's more blessed to believe without seeing. He's alive. 
I don't know about you, but this morning in worship, I knew Jesus was here. He's alive. He's alive. Wow. That's a game changer. Everything changes. If he's alive, everything changes. There's nothing this world can throw at me that Jesus can't overcome. And I can't overcome with him. And then lastly, that same power is available to me. The Bible says, Jesus said many times, um, he breathed on them. Just after he rose again, he breathed on them. He said, receive the Spirit. Just as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And he breathed on them and said, receive the Spirit. That power that raised him from the dead, he breathes into Christians. Now, many of us, most of us, don't live as if we have that power in us. But it's available. I've seen it at various junctures in my life where God breaks in and changes my life, heals my body, heals my family, does something dramatic. My wife and I had just been married just a short time and she had a terrible stomach ache. And I just put my hand gently on her stomach, just prayed a very short prayer, completely healed, and God broke through. The Jesus who rose from the dead broke into our lives. Many times he's broken through with guidance, with comfort, with provision, supernatural provision, with miraculous events that have changed our lives. And I know that he could do that at any minute of any day in my life. I'm, a, I'm a, aware of those things. I'm alive to them. Friends, you can be. I know many of us here know that Jesus is alive. But what I want to say to us and challenge us all today is open your eyes to the fact that that miracle Jesus is with you. He's here. <laughs> He's alive. He's in you. And anything is possible. Today, you may be here, and you may say, I'm used to religious Christianity. I like the, the forms and the liturgies and things. I'm not so sure about this relationship, this alive Jesus thing. What's the deal? Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3, He said, Behold, I stand at the door of your life and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Jesus just simply wants an invitation from you to say, Lord, come into my life. And he does. You say, but I'm dirty, I'm sinful, I've, I'm not good enough. He says, you don't need to be clean before you have a bath. You don't need to be perfect before I come into your life and change you and cleanse you. You say, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to live a good Christian life. He says, it's about relationship. I'll help you. We'll grow together. We'll make this happen together. You say, Christians are hypocrites. He says, well, why don't you try not to be one? Today could be your day. Let's pray together.